This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome to Province Sports Radio Keyboard Kimura Edition. I am Paul Chapman, uh, back after a little bit of a uh, inconsistent schedule here with Spencer Kite, mostly due to medical issues, but also logistics because Spencer, it was way easier for you to do your stuff from down in Houston last week. Were you at UFC 192? I don't know where to start with this. I mean, if we go chronologically, we have the John Jones stuff that I really want to get into. We certainly had the blockbuster news of, of one of the co-main event being canceled. And then the actual card itself, which I have to admit, I was hesitant to buy after that one big fight dropped out. But man, what a card. Yeah, it was it was one of those weird. I mean, the we talked about it as soon as we got down there, that the timing of the John Jones court date on the Tuesday before sort of my travel day getting down to Houston couldn't have been like, it couldn't have been scripted any better of all the weeks that this could have taken place of all the days it had to come basically as the kickoff to an event where the light heavyweight championship is on the line between two guys that John Jones has already beaten. Um, it, I mean, it, for me, it, it was the starting point of the week. So it feels like the right starting point for recapping this event because John Jones did sort of, loom over everything and we talked to everybody on wednesday at sort of post open workouts and and everybody acknowledged that yes john is is somebody that you know we don't know what the situation is we don't know when he's going to come back daniel cormier said we're happy on this side of things bring him back i still want that fight gustafson said the same thing so he's a guy that we're going to be be talking a lot about and hearing a lot from i would imagine in the next coming months so that reaction aside, and that was the official reaction, was there any unofficial reaction? I mean, sometimes you read a quote, and I know this business, I know we're often not fair, and I know it's, you know, when people talk about context, um, and, and sometimes that's not out of meanness or spinning a story, it's out of necessity, you got to edit stuff down. There was some stuff from Cormier which talked about, I hope he gets punished, that seemed to, to you know skirt that line where you go okay here we go again um but did you hear any stuff even off the record about how john's doing about where he is about really what it how he'll be accepted when he comes back there wasn't any anything in terms of where john was at um obviously a couple guys from from jackson's were up here fighting um ali bagatinov who trains down there there is a connection with gair rodriguez in terms of he works with some guys in Chicago that used to be down at Jackson's, but there wasn't any talk about where John's at in terms of training. Obviously the morning after his court date, he posted a video of him lifting weights um, and he looks big. He looks full. He looks like he's in shape. He looks like he could probably come back at heavyweight. I mean, for me, DC had the best quote um, after he was sort of my colleague, Danny Austin from the Calgary sun kind of said, John Jones, looms over this event and and dc's quote was he looms over it for you like not for us i've got alexander gustafson and and we're talking about this kid like we like he's already booked a fight 
when we don't really know when he's going to be packed. We don't know what kind of, you know, mental toll this whole ordeal took on him. And the thing that was really telling to me was that Daniel's last words on it were sort of, if it didn't take any toll, then that's an even bigger issue. And then we see on Saturday night, right away, as soon as the fight is done, John is back on Insta- back shirtless on Instagram, making videos that he's deleting right away. That kind of, I mean, it's, it's hard to read too much into a 10-second Instagram video. But five days after you've gotten a slap on the wrist, is that really where you need to be? Is, is posting videos after two of your you know rivals, two of your chief rivals have competed? Just to me, it's this is, and we've talked about it, this is lay low time. This is get your house in order, get everything looked after, start doing those community service appearances, continue to keep your nose clean, pun intended. Um but and move and move forward. Yeah, but don't go right back into being John Jones. Well, fine, Spencer. But be John Jones before would have said something like, "You know, oh, you're not the real champ. I'm coming for my belt," and then deleted it. But my understanding, the video was he said like, "You showed a ton of heart, DC," and then like, I, I get, get the, I, I have no idea why he delete that, but it's almost <laughs> against the John Jones narrative to give Daniel Cormier some credit. Like, what? I, I know what you're meaning, lay low, don't even be part of it, but actually coming back and showing some contrition, some class to a guy that you've had nothing but beef with, I don't know. I, I actually think that's a good place for him to be because that shows growth. But then the deleting it kind of messes that up. I mean, what the hell's going on? And that's sort of where I'm at is that I, if if you're going to say something and you want to be genuine, then absolutely come out and be genuine. And it wouldn't at all surprise me if we see John Jones on UFC tonight, um, which airs this evening, Wednesday evening on FS1. Um, it wouldn't <clears throat> surprise me if we saw him, you know, make an appearance on Ariel Hawani's MMA hour on one of these upcoming Mondays or have a, a bigger platform where it's just him, where he can be contrite and he can talk about these things if he wants to. For me, it's it's the jumping right back into the Instagram and deleting them game that is just like, you're still where you were six months ago before all of this happened. And that's worrisome to me because, you know, this isn't, this isn't a guy that made a single stupid mistake and you absolutely are certain that he's going to learn from it. This is a guy that has made a series of mistakes over the last several years and you're not quite sure. And it, and it just, it almost feels a little disappointing to me just because I, you know, I like you, I'm a huge John Jones fan in terms of what he does in the cage. And I want to see him come back. I want to see him reach that potential that we believe he has and have some of these great fights that I still think are out there for him. But I don't know that he's, you know, I, I start worrying that he's going to be the guy that is sort of that star cross fighter from now on that we get a fight and then there's some legal issue and we get a fight and then there's some stuff that happens that keeps him away and and I just I hope that's not the case. Well, what's interesting there is that he uh you know, I would hope that there's some maturity in there. One of the things that was a little puzzling to me when the whole thing went down was, you know, his brothers are I mean, who knows? You you only see what you see publicly, but his brothers seem to be pretty strong, high-level people. They're under the the anvil of the NFL, including one under Bill Belichick, which you know is sort of you buying into the program. <laughs> if you're a wild child, you're not going to survive there. 
Um, but John was, in particular his brother Arthur, who plays for the Colts, had some very cryptic things to say around the arrest. Um, things that, like, if I cut you out of my life, you gave me the scissors. But recently, there's been a lot of positive stuff from his brothers, at least in social media, and maybe it shouldn't be there, concerning his brother. It sounds to me like they've embraced him again, like it's back. So I, I tend to just read into that, and that's all we can do, is, is that he's on the right track. So I have to believe that. I will say one thing, though. I think DC's full of shit when he says... Uh, oh, he only looms large for you guys. There is no way. You go back to Gustafson's quotes a couple of weeks before the fight where he said he would have preferred to have his rematch with John Jones. That's his white whale. He is since that moment when he came so close. That's what he's wanted. That's what he's been chasing. And we're more than two years after it now, and it hasn't happened yet. So that's still on his radar. And you know that people will call DC a fake champ until he beats John Jones. So... They can sail all they want. There's no way that it doesn't loom large over them. Every day in training, that's what they're thinking about. They know this guy is coming back. It just absolutely has to cast a shadow. I don't care. You can say it. I don't believe you. Now, I think in the like three or four days before a fight, it's, it's absolutely the focus is on for Daniel Cormier, Alexander Gustafson. But you're 100% correct. I mean, you can't say this guy doesn't loom large and I, he's not on my radar and things like that. And then talk about being excited that he's coming back and that, you know, you very much would have liked to have won the title from John Jones. That's still a fight that you want to get back. That's still a, a rematch that you want. We all know that he's there. And so I think in those three or four days before the fight, everybody was trying to kind of put it aside because I mean, Ryan Bader talked about it and said, you know, it's, it's something that's out of my control because going into that fight, we sort of thought, well, if Bader wins, he's probably next in line, having won five consecutive fights, knock off Rashad Evans. There's nobody else with that kind of winning streak. He was supposed to fight Daniel Cormier. And he just said, you know what? I can't control it. I can control going out there and beating Rashad Evans and then having a conversation with the UFC after that, when we know a little bit more about a, where I am, and B, where John Jones is. If John comes back, he's going to get the title fight. Yep. <laughs> and and so I think that's really, for a guy like Bader, who who is sort of on the outside of this a little bit because he hasn't fought John in so long, he wasn't in that immediate conversation in terms of DC and, and Gustafson, who both wanted him, were fighting for the title last weekend. Um, that, to me, is really the... It kind of looms, and yes, it has an impact on everybody, but there are a lot of guys that it doesn't necessarily play into. And I think that's what DC was trying to trying to sell, but there weren't many people that were buying. Well, okay, so I know that we've got other stuff to talk about with if we were going to go chronologically, <laughs> but let's, let's stay on point here. The fight was a classic. It really was. Um, it did remind me a lot, actually, of the, uh, the, of the Gustafson-Jones fight just because it was so back and forth and there were moments when you thought both guys would win. And even following on social media, people's scorecards were all over the map. Some people had DC winning, say, four rounds and thinking he had it no problem and saying that even though Gustafson had moments, those rounds he wasn't. And there were other people who had you know the rounds either even or had Gustafson winning, and then there were people who kind of called it correctly. So... Um, this is the strange thing about about MMA. You look at Gustafson now, and he's lost three of his last four fights. But right. two of those fights have been, you know, all time like top twenty five contender fights. They of all weight classes, where you'd say, "Man, that was what a talented guy." The guy's just he's unlucky that he he doesn't have the belt strapped around him. 
But that's the nature of, of MMA. You stay at the top, you may be just a hair below those top guys, and that's going to happen. Um, what did you think of the fight? And what would you think of, a, of, of John Jones when he steps in being able to compete at that level? I thought the fight, as you said, was was an instant classic. I mean, to see and and I thought going in that Alexander Gustafson was absolutely capable of this. It was crazy to me that people were just writing him off and and wrote as much in the paper and I think online, um, saying the last time he was in this position where everybody was kind of counting him out, he went in and had an instant classic with John in Toronto. Don't don't expect anything less this weekend and and. In he goes and and does the same thing against DC. Um, watching it through that first round, when when Cormier hits that big slam, you think for a minute like, okay, this is going to be just a ragdolling, and he's going to just body slam this kid and and grind him out, and and maybe Gus isn't recovered from the January loss to to Anthony Johnson, and his head's not a hundred percent there. He was talking about John. Then he comes out in the second and is right back in DC's face. He's using his movement. He's circling out very similar, as you said, to the way he fought John. And it became just a wonderful fight, a fight where you just sat there wondering when is DC like he dropped DC with that knee and and the follow up punches. He didn't drop himself at all when DC's hitting him with those collar tie uppercuts over and over again that. You just think at some point he's going to crumple and he doesn't. And so you really, for me, come away from that fight and and wrote about it as much earlier this week on Keyboard Kimura, just saying, like, even in a loss, this guy just shines and proves that he is championship level. As you said, one in three in his last four fights, two of those are probably amongst the top 10 fights in UFC history. Um, so yeah, I said the, top 25, but you got a lot more knowledge. Than me. Oh, I, I mean, it's just, I mean, that's probably, you know, discounting, discounting a bunch of fights that happened a little further back. And there's probably some recency bias in that, but just a phenomenal fight, a phenomenal performance. I mean, gutsy for DC as well, who, you know, full of praise for Alexander Gustafson after the fight, this felt like a fight that Daniel Cormier needed to go through one of these battles where he pushes through. He talked about it at the post-fight press conference. That wasn't something he was able to do against John. He tried to take a round off and it cost him. I think we saw a better Daniel Cormier on Saturday night and we'll see a better Daniel Cormier going forward as a result of it. As for John, I, I think he's, you know, provided he hasn't lost a step somehow in the last nine months of being sidelined 10 months of, you know, since his, since his fight with DC, um, I think he walks back in and, and that was the other kind of thing is as great as that fight was, it still makes you go, man, John Jones is good because in those tight spots, he distanced himself from Alexander Gustafson in those tight spots. He distanced himself from Daniel Cormier and that was a John Jones that apparently was still a bit of a wild child and wasn't really training full time in Albuquerque on a year round basis yet. So there was still that room for growth. So it, again, makes the top end of that light heavyweight division really, really interesting. Yeah. And, and you know that I've had my issues with uh, with Cormier, but full credit, as you say, I, if I look at that fight and I look at the uh, Rumble Johnson fight, I in there were moments in both of them where I was convinced he was going to lose. You, you know, you kind of forget 
um, that Rumble had him in the first round. Like ha- <laughs> what, what what Rumble did to to Gustafson, he had Cormier right there, and Cormier was able to fight through it. Um, and and as we saw again with Gustafson, Rumble's a tough guy who can uh, you know I even wonder about if Jones absorbed a couple of those hits, what would happen? Um, but but honestly, I look at it and I got to give him credit because he was hurt. You know that knee. How does he come back from that? Um, and you're right. He didn't need to take a round off. He kept going. And that's one of the things that made it an all-time classic. Yeah. I mean, I had talked to DC in sort of the week leading up to it. And and once we got through sort of the, the meat of the interview, I said, okay, it's been a couple months. What went through your head when Alex or when Anthony Johnson hit you to start that fight? And he laughed and said, did somebody hand Anthony Johnson a bat? Um, <laughs> he hit, he hits that hard. And, and it really is that X factor that, as you said, you put him in there with anybody and it, and it tests their metal. Alex Gustafson couldn't recover. DC did. I too would be really, really interested to see how John Jones reacts in that situation if he's caught with them. And it's also part of the reason that, and, and I have a story up today, Wednesday on keyboard Kimura saying, you know, it's it's part of the reason I don't want to see Ryan Bader fight Anthony Johnson. I mean, everybody's everybody's saying, well, this is the logical fight to make, and then the winner gets next after John. Well, we don't know when John is coming back, and to me, you're better off not burning. I mean, Ryan Bader may beat Anthony Johnson, but I think he'd be a significant underdog. I don't want to just count Bader out because he looked good on the weekend. But I would pick Anthony Johnson, and I don't see the value of taking a guy that's on a five fight winning streak, putting him in there with somebody that just fought for the title and lost and having him lose so that you're left with just Anthony Johnson as the next guy. He can fight a couple more, not mediocre opponents, but middle of the middle of the rankings kind of guys in that Jimmy Manuel range. Like he fought earlier this fall at UFC 191 and we can move forward with Bader because we don't know when John Jones is coming back because this sport is crazy and injuries happening. Guys get sidelined. Don't continually burn yourself and and send a guy like Ryan Bader that looked really good on the weekend and got the biggest win of his career into the slaughterhouse against Anthony Johnson. Well, you know, it, it's an interesting – this is where I, I do find the dynamics of light heavyweight so interesting because, I mean, for one thing, you've also got DC's age. You know, right. I, I know guys don't fall off the table like an NFL running back does per se, but uh, and we've seen guys fight well into their 30s, but – as you kind of set up the division, you look at guys there, um, that's certainly a factor. You know, where does Gustafson go? We've seen his his own desire to go forward be questioned a few times here. And and even though we put in a great showing, he has lost three out of four. How does that impact him going forward? And the one thing when you talk about Rumble, you know, as big a fan of John Jones as I am, the one thing we haven't really seen in his locker is knockout power. And that's why all this talk about him moving up to heavyweight I've seen him dominate guys, but then never really rock them, never really having them close. And maybe that's by design. Like when he fought Glover Teixeira, he he dominated that fight, but he never seemed to really be in threat of finishing the fight unless it was by submission. So I just think that there are there's little holes in everyone's game all over the place here. John's clearly when he comes back, he's the top guy, but he's not infallible as we know. Um, so I, I find light heavy still one of the most more intriguing weight classes in the UFC. Yeah, that that upper tier, that sort of, I want to say five guys that are that are all in that sort of huddle, and I'll put Ryan Bader in there, having won five straight. Um, that group is very very intriguing. 
we'll see what happens. You're right about DC's age. He's 36. He's, he talked about it after the fight. Can't do this forever. Not sure when my body, you know, not sure how long my body's going to hold up. He's been competing at the elite level since he was 15, 16 years old. That's 20 years of, of weight cutting. We know the struggles he had with the Olympic team in, in 2008. And so he's the guy that I think we'll continue to see him for a few more years. Um, a couple more fights with John Jones, probably at least one, I would say for sure. Gus is the really interesting one for me. I, I saw a couple of articles on Tuesday, uh, one on bloody elbow. I can't remember. I think the other one was probably on sure dog about maybe Gus goes up to heavyweight where his speed and his range becomes a little bit more of a factor. I don't know that that makes sense. Again, mm. same as same as you're saying with John, we haven't seen that one shot knockout power that is is definitely there in heavyweight for most guys. Yes, he would have a speed edge. Yes, he would have an athleticism edge over a lot of guys. But you get hit with one of those bombs, and and it's just a whole different story. And so it'll be interesting to see. He's for me the guy that. I'm really curious to see what the UFC does with him next because I have no idea. Do you just take him, you know, two thirds of the way down the rankings and let him build up a couple of wins? Or do you sort of follow the same path that they followed after the Jones fight where it's one fight and then you want to get him back into the mix? But then you risk, you know, even if he goes out and gets a win, he's still two and three in his last five. So it becomes becomes very difficult, and it'll be interesting to see where, where Joe Silva goes. So um, before we deal with Hendricks and the follow-up from that, because of the <laughs> ancillary, take me through the rest of the card. What was it like there? What stood out to you? We've talked a little bit about Bader and Evans. Look, I'm not going to discount Ryan Bader. As you said, he's won five fights in a row, but Rashad Evans, to me, age, rust, the injuries, whatever you want to call it, he's just not the same guy. Yeah, he's, he's definitely not, and, and that was – sort of the impetus for my pick over the weekend was if, if this was prime Rashad Evans or even active Rashad Evans, it would be a different fight, but you know, 36 year old Rashad Evans coming off two ACL surgeries and two years on the shelf is a very different guy for Ryan, for a Ryan Bader that is peaking, that is continuing to get better. That looks the best he has. He joked about it at open workouts of like, when you saw me, when I started, I was puffy and I was big and I had all the muscles, but I, it wasn't functional. And so he's actively shed some bulk and, and leaned out in terms of nutrition and diet and just training in general to be a more functional fighter. Really? Um, that was a, that was a good performance for me. I'm happy to see Bader get that win that he felt he needed to sort of clear the hump. Overall, Houston was was really entertaining. I mean, it was one of those preliminary cards where the prelims were great. We had a bunch of entertaining fights, a ton of finishes. And then we kind of hit that lull to start the main card where it was like, really, this is what we're going to get. Not that they were bad fights, but they were tactical fights. Um, Joseph Benavidez with a, a hard fought sort of best you can do win against a guy like Ali Bagutinov. Um, but the real story for me, just just coming away from it outside of DC and Gustafson, were some of those prelim fighters and, and primarily two guys that are from that region, Derek Lewis, who is a Houston guy getting a, a third round comeback knockout win, got a huge pop when he came out. And Sage Northcutt, this 19 year old kid who, you know, in the span of about a month went from not being in the UFC to now being 
just about everywhere with a 57 second, you know, TKO finish at home in front of, in front of friends and family got a huge pop is now, you know, I saw a story GQ posted his post fight celebration yesterday. So his world's about to change real quick. Uh, yeah, the, the male page Van Zant comes to mind and, yes. and not just, you know, that's not to be demeaning, but there's no doubt that, uh, much like the, and I know we we're going to tee this up at the end, but much like guys like Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate, people have a look that goes along with ability. Um, he's certainly in that marketable cat- category, but to me, his speed looked devastating Spencer. Yeah, his speed looked really impressive. And the, the interesting thing, I mean, he's 19 years old for one, he is you know, looks like an action figure, looks like the Greek sculptures where they've chiseled in all eight of the abs perfectly. They are there. He came up after his win. They sort of bring preliminary fighters back to the media room and he came in without a shirt on. And I was just like, really? Come on, dude, it's been (laughs) 45 minutes. Put a shirt on already. I know it's Houston. I know it's hot. Why are you showing me up? I just ate a cookie. You're making me feel bad about myself. But <laughs> he, he absolutely, he normally fights previous to this. He had fought at 170. I think 55 is absolutely the right spot for him for right now as a 19-year-old. For me, the comparison I made in NES, the Paige Van Zandt thing is very much there. But in talking about him, and we'll get to it a little later, but it's it's the he's 19 years old and he beat a dude that he absolutely should have beaten Look is look is a hundred percent on point. Going to be marketable. That fight he looked phenomenal, but he's nineteen. He's had six pro fights. We'll pump the brakes a little bit, but but a huge a huge impression in his debut. He did everything that you need to do and you want a guy to do in that spot. And so that for me is the takeaway of of Saturday night is is this kid made good on all sort of all of the advanced billing. Didn't look phased by any of it didn't you know you talk to him and he's aw shucks and gosh sir um, and it's just it's endearing you want to root for him and so we'll see what happens going forward and and i know we'll talk about it a little later in the show but uh hopefully he becomes somebody that the ufc markets correctly but also brings along correctly and and he doesn't just get thrown into the out there on the front of of magazines and and websites without having accomplished anything. So, you know, this wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't not only mention John Jones, but also the heavyweights. A lot of fuss. Well, not a lot. I think there was some fuss, but it might have been lost overall if you didn't, if you weren't around or sort of drilling down deep on uh, Ruslan Magomedov. You know, Sean Jordan, not exactly a, a top, top three, top five heavyweight, but it is a division, as we've just talked about the possibility of a couple of light heavies moving up. It is a division that's looking for talent um, and looking for consistency. What did you think of him? And and again, not to put him in the North Cut category, but is this guy just an exciting prospect? Is there real substance be- behind the hype? Do you see him being a major player? Does he need a lot more seasoning? I really like Ruslan Megamedov, um, friend of the show, guest of the show a couple of times. Brandon Gibson and I have talked about him at length. He started his training sort of in North America, down at Jackson Wink in in Albuquerque. And Brandon worked with him extensively. Um, he moves very different than most heavyweights. He he doesn't he doesn't have that plotting style. He's very moves very well in the cage. He's very fluid in his combinations. As you said, Sean Jordan isn't a top 10 guy, but he's a proven guy in the UFC. He's sort of that low-end litmus test for that division, really. And and I personally think Megamedov has 
tremendous upside. I think he's a guy at 28, maybe 29 next at the end of next month that can go forward. I mean, he's 3-0 in the UFC, and yes, they've all been decisions. We haven't seen any of that knockout power yet. But a guy that moves that well and avoids that well and, and doesn't take damage will be able to sort of stick and move and use his footwork to pick at guys. And, and I think we've seen that over his three fights. And I think his fight with Sean Jordan was, was his best performance to date. Um, I've been at his last two fights. He, he, he looks really good in there. He looks like he belongs. I don't know that he's necessarily, you know, King Velasquez level. I don't know that he's Fabricio Verdum level, but he's also only 28, 29. So give him a couple more years and, and a couple more of these, sort of get into the lower end of the top 15 now and let's see where he's at against the Stefan Struves or, you know, the Jared Rochalts. I think those two fight in Australia next month. So maybe the winner of that would be the best, the best next step for him. But I think he's got a ton of upside and he's somebody people should definitely be watching in this division that needs guys like that. Yeah, I still think the most intriguing guy in that division for just what he means, either going up or going down for any other prospect is Alistair Overeem. But we can talk about that another day because we got a lot of stuff to get to still. Uh, one last thing about 192, um, uh, Juliana Pena. Um, she's winning, um, but as, as someone who won the Ultimate Fighter and maybe, you know, people see an awful lot there that she could be a very good fighter to me it's a little bit like uh perhaps holly home in that there's this desperate need to have someone rival ronda before she does decide to go off and, and go full hollywood um but you're hoping that there's someone in there that's going to dominate to really take guys apart uh much like we see in the men, if you see a guy like Conor McGregor come along, yeah, there's mouth, yeah, there's marketability, but when he takes care of guys easily, it, you can rise up the ranks that much quicker. I like Pena, and I think she's going to be a solid fighter, But I, and I know she's dealt with injury, but I, I'm not seeing the dominance where, as people tabbed, maybe she could actually challenge, legitimately challenge Rousey one day. Yeah, this felt like a fight where if she was going to make a real statement, this is where it was. Jessica I is a tough out. She is a a proven top 10 fighter. Yes, she's now lost two in a row, but they're Tamisha Tate and Juliana Pena, who are both solid contenders and would be championship contenders if Ronda Rousey didn't exist in this division. I asked Juliana about it after the event. She was sitting at the press conference and just looked salty as as can be. And, and <laughs> I sort of said, like, you seem pretty pissed off still. Like, you seem angry. What's up? Are you, you know disappointed still haven't come down from just the tension of the fight and and she talked about some injuries and making some mistakes and doing some things wrong that that she had you know not sitting in on a choke and not getting that finish and things like that i think that side of it is great she is hypercritical um she does want to be better she does want to improve i think we also the unfortunate part for her and even for that division as a whole is that Ronda has been just so dominant that we're in dire need of contenders probably before they're ready. Holly Holm probably would be even better with another year under her belt. Juliana Pena turned 26 in August and would be a much better fighter a year from now, having fought the likes of, you know, getting a fight with like Sarah Kaufman, maybe even fighting her good friend Misha Tate or fighting a Sarah McMahon, just getting a little more experience. I mean, Saturday was her ninth professional fight. 
she was saying afterwards, I'm 6-0, and Ronda's 6-0. and She's counting her ultimate fighter wins, which I do not count at all. Juliana Pena, you are 7-2 and and you are 3-0 and in the UFC. Those are very good marks. But to put yourself on that same level as Ronda is, is a little bit crazy. She called herself, she said she's willing to be the Evander Holyfield to, to Ronda Rousey's Mike Tyson. I love that. I love that she wants that challenge. I would just rather see it a year from now or even 18 months from now when Juliana Pena has stayed healthy, avoided those little niggling injuries that were bothering her this fight and shown, as you said, some of that dominance like we saw in her first two fights against opponents that either aren't in the UFC any longer or aren't in the division any longer um, rather than just kind of a, a grind them out, get a good win, but not look great performance against Jessica. I, well, Johnny Hendricks. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, is, this we- is so frustrating because Tuesday night, so we got in, myself and Danny got in on Tuesday, walked down the road to the fighter hotel just to see what the distance was between our hotel and that hotel. Just for the next morning to get a gauge of how far we got to travel, ran into Team Hendricks. Hey, good to see you. Thanks for doing the show last week. You're looking good. How's everything feeling? How's weight? Oh, everything's on point, man. Doing great. Really appreciate it. Good to see you. All of, all of the right things. And then we wake up Friday morning and the fight's canceled. Just yeah. frustrating. And, and, you know, you uh, you grabbed Johnny for this uh, podcast before his fight with Matt Brown um, several months ago. And, you know, he had talked about how tough weight cuts had been leading into it. And then he had to think about what he's going to do because he didn't really feel like he had the body to move up. Um, right. but he talked about how in that fight, his weight cut was easy. He'd, he'd changed his lifestyle. And while that obviously <laughs> didn't last very long because he may have looked good to you and, and said all the right things, you know, the, the news that came out afterwards, after he went to the hospital was, you know, I, I think what they say, he came in, he, he came into Houston. He was 26 pounds over. I don't care who you are. That's a lot of weight to lose in a week. Yeah. And, and came into camp. So came into camp they sort of have always said johnny keep it under 200 and came into camp above 200 it's sort of varied between 205 210 which probably means he came in at at 215 i mean that's just you know you're always going to lie a little bit to give your guy the benefit of the doubt so he probably came in way bigger than he needed to you get to houston on monday and and as you said clocks in at 26 pounds over which is just to like, I mean, as somebody that doesn't cut weight, I don't know if that's, you know, has never cut weight, would like to cut 26 pounds, um, but not over four days. I don't know if that's a lot for a guy that's been cutting weight his whole life, but to me, it seems like a really ridiculous amount of weight to try to dump in four days when you've already struggled with it in the past. And that for me is, is the part that's becoming the the real worry and the real concern, not just for Johnny Hendricks, but for all of these guys is that this felt like a cumulative damage sort of situation where his body just at 32 or 33, I forget how old Johnny Hendricks is said, you know what? Not this week, dude. No, we're not, we're not dropping 15 pounds or 18 pounds overnight, getting down to to seven pounds out so we can just cut water tomorrow. I'm not doing this. He was rushed to the hospital. There were reports that it may have been kidney stones. It may have been sort of impacted bowels. Um, weight cutting does lead to constipation. This is something that is that, that, that people know. Um, 
and had to be scratched from a really important fight, um, a really meaningful fight, both for the card in terms of it being the co-main event and in terms of the division and leaves. It was supposed to be the fight that kind of clarified things at the top of the division. And now they feel even more jumbled because can you really give Tyron Woodley a title shot after not fighting since last, the end of January and sort of as a like, well, you get promoted because Johnny Hendricks couldn't fight. And so it just, it's a whole big mess. And, and as you said, we had Johnny on the show before the Matt Brown fight. He talked about the weight cut being miserable. I don't think he's big enough to go to middleweight. I know most people in the industry that have sort of been talking about it this week and, and following that, that news have said the same thing. So he's in a real change your lifestyle, make some real difficult changes and commit to them or maybe have to reconsider what you're doing professionally point. Well, absolutely. And I think the, you know, Tyron, the, the issue, and, and I heard Tyron Woodley talk about it afterwards where, you know, I don't blame him for being a little bit put out. He said he wanted his money, but he wasn't going to fight anyone else until he got the title shot. This to, it was him. They said that the winner of this fight was probably in the conversation for uh, a title shot. Um, and I think you're, you, when you say that, you're almost expecting Hendricks to win because people thought this fight, he might have got Robbie again. Um, but when you look at the, the thing for me with Woodley there is, and through no fault of his own, I mean, his last fight before this um, was in January against Kelvin Gastelum, who at the time couldn't, couldn't make weight either. They were talking about him going to the hospital there. They agreed right. to fight with him being over. And Woodley didn't look good. And I don't know, like he was full of praise for, for Gastelum after that fight. But, and he sort of said, well, he was going, he's sort of practicing a game plan rather than, but he knew people were criticizing his, <laughs> his performance there. So really you're looking at one fight and how long, and you know, Robbie likes to tame, take time off between fights. So I don't know how you do put him in the conversation when you got Rory sitting there who, you know, is probably still going to be a while till he can fight. But when he comes back, he's got to be in the mix. And who knows if, if Condit and, and Lawler have a great fight, maybe they fight again right away. But that's where Johnny Hendricks here. Like, where do you put him in the conversation? Well, talking about Woodley, it's, it's, it's weird that right now the best case scenario for him is probably Carlos Condit getting injured. And so then he could, you know, I talked to him during his scrum on fight night and said, I assume you're going home and just staying in shape until January. So that if you get a call that they need you to fill in either against Carlos or against Robbie, you're ready to go. And he said, a hundred percent. I love Tyron. I have talked to him for, I believe about six years of his career. Now we communicate, not just for stories. We, we stay in touch. He's a great dude, but it, it's hard to make a case for him right now as the number one contender without it feeling like it's just you're the last man standing. Um, because as you said, Calvin Gastelum blew weight. Johnny Hendricks didn't fight. Great knockout against Dung Hyung Kim, but before that was the loss to Rory where he looked bad. Beats Carlos Condit, but it's knee injury. Yes, he was winning the fight leading up to it, but it still feels like it's not quite complete, especially given everything we know about Carlos Condit and his ability to lose two rounds and come back and and put on a great performance in the third. And so it's really going to be interesting. As you said, then you also have to factor in things like Condit and Lawler aren't fighting until January. What if one of them gets hurt in that fight or wants to take four or five months off? You're looking at sort of the summer before Tyron Woodley would get that shot. And then you're 18 months out from a fight and, and it's real hard to sell 
come see this great important fight when a guy hasn't fought in 18 months and his last fight was kind of a dud. Um, I really think he's going to end up fighting. I think he's going to end up back in the cage, maybe against Matt Brown if he beats Calvin Gastelum. Um, I don't think they can do a Rory rematch this quickly because that fight was so recent and was so one-sided, but it's going to be really interesting just to see where everything, how everything plays out. And, and I mean, Johnny really is the question mark now because he is a former champion. This is, this is the first time he's officially missed weight. He's had to use the extra hour to shed an extra pound or a couple ounces here and there. Um, he has always struggled with it. If he can get it figured out and and get to a point where he's, you know, walking around at 190, coming into camp at 190, I think he's still very much a force in this division. It's just, that's a huge if, that's a huge question mark. So much like light heavyweight is got really interesting sort of last week, so did welterweight. Oh, absolutely. And I go back even even further. And, I, and this this uh, discussion about these sort of superstars of of UFC really intrigues me. You know, Johnny Hendricks felt he was ripped off in the fight with GSP. You know, GSP had been the staple who looked immovable as a champion. That fight made him look really vulnerable, and we haven't seen him since. He walked away. But I, at that point, I think everyone looked at Johnny Hendricks as being the future of that division, that Johnny Hendricks was going to be the guy to maybe, you know, carry that belt for as long as GSP had. And now all of a sudden you have him, you know, at that point, Lawler comes in as sort of a reclamation project that I don't know that people took seriously. Now you look at where Robbie is and you look at where Johnny went and it's like you were one and done as a champion. And if you don't get this figured out, yeah, I don't know what the future is for him. Yeah. And I mean, he, he can make a case and, and I think rightfully so that he beat GSP. I think he can make that same case for the second fight with Robbie Lawler, but all of that stuff sort of, as you said, goes away. If you don't get this figured out and come back and consistently be in there, not having these issues, not having every fight. Johnny Hendricks and the weight cut is starting to trend towards Tito Ortiz and the excuses, which is not a good place to be. After every Tito fight, you expect him to come out and talk about some catastrophic injury that kept him from performing, or as is the case with his last fight against Liam McGeary, oh, that guy was awful slick. He must have been lotioned up. No, you just got beat by a better man. <laughs> Johnny Hendricks, after every fight, there's that, oh, the weight cut was miserable. Oh, I need to do this. And I came in overweight. Well, do all of that. Like, eventually you have to just figure out that this stuff isn't going to change by itself. You're, you're only getting older. These weight cuts are only going to get harder. So maybe not coming into camp at 205, 210 is a real good idea. Absolutely. So uh, we've been on for a while here now, so we still have some stuff to get through. I love this new feature you've got, and I love the one you've picked to debut it. Fight of the week's coming up, uh, Spencer. Man, did I have high hopes that this wouldn't be the kind of thing that we're talking about. Yeah, fight of the week. Uh, Going to just sort of talk about either a fight that was announced or a fight that's coming up or a fight that just took place. This week, there's only one fight that makes sense. Uh, we heard about it on Tuesday. It is a fight coming up on New Year's Eve in Japan. Fedor Emelianenko versus Jaydeep Singh. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we waited all this time for Fedor to come back. He is going to get a ridiculous amount of money to fight a Indo-Japanese kickboxer who has one mixed martial arts bout in a complete throwback Pride FC style 
ridiculous freak show New Year's Eve fight. I know there are a lot of people on social media yesterday and probably through till today sort of laughing at the the uproar. I don't have uproar. I just have a little bit of disappointment. Like, as you said, could have been anything. I understand that he's getting paid a lot of money. And so I'm going to go wherever all of that money leads me against whoever all of that money puts me up against. Good with that. I'm fine with that. I just feel like we had these opportunities and we talked about it when, when this announcement that fight or was going to fight in Japan was made that, that it felt like there were some opportunities left on the table, both with the UFC and even in Bellator. And so to end up with this against Jadeep Singh, who is one and oh, as a mixed martial artist, that fought came more than two years ago in super fight league. Um, not a bad kickboxer, 40 and 10, but he lost his last three fights. So, it's sort of hard to figure out, you know, what you're really going to get. My my guess is closer to Fedor's fight with Hongman Choi than Fedor's fight with Fabricio Verdum or Antonio Silva or even some of the guys that he's beaten during his sort of return to Russia pre-retirement stage like Jeff Monson or Pedro Hizo. So it just feels like a little bit of a a little bit of a letdown of of this is this is what we expected when the Japanese promotion was announced yeah. but to to get the confirmation is just well, like really but that's this, that, this that, is what it is i know that's the issue for me is yeah fetter gets paid and he fights whoever they put in front of him but are the people who are paying fetter going to make their money back i am not going to go anywhere near this thing uh, and i you know i know the high end and it's pie in the sky was you know thinking maybe john jones moves up to heavyweight and his return back man can, can you just imagine the hype around a fight like that <laughs> um and then you think yeah as you said does he so you get back in against Verdum and kind of get his his redemption against the guy who shattered his his you know legendary status as a guy who can't be beat. But this is just I don't know why not even Kimbo Slice. Well, and that's I mean that was sort of one of the names floated out there, and Scott Coker and Rich Chow from from Bellator kind of said, "Ah, we've got other plans for Kimbo." Um, I think they don't want to burn that cash cow because he's for them a, a draw. I mean, the good thing is this is going to be on Spike, so you don't have to pay anything extra for it. It's part of your cable package. Um, the people in Japan... Still not going to watch it, only. I probably will. Uh, well, I, I guess with PVR, I'll, yeah, I'll DVR yeah. it so that I have something to watch on on New Year's Day when I believe my wife has to work over New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So I will watch it on New Year's Day while she's sleeping and, and just probably get a good laugh out of it. It's going to do – this event will do very good numbers in Japan in terms of box office and attendance because Fedor still has that – regardless of, of what happened when he came to Strike Force, he's still Fedor for them. He's still the guy that they love and that they revere. So they will turn out in droves and, and Sakaki Barra will make his money back in this promotion even though he's paying Fedor – some ridiculous amount of money that is speculated at about $2.5 million. Um, it's just, as you said, you, you think of some of the options that were there, both UFC, even in Bellator coming in and, you know, I'd like to see Fedor against Czech Congo at this point, just to get a read on where Fedor's at. Is this just, you know, I want to come back and put a couple more millions in the bank, or I want to come back and, and have sort of a, an actual swan song. To see this, it feels more and more like I want to come back and, and put a couple more millions in the bank by just showing up, smiling, 
knocking somebody out and going home. Absolutely. Uh, so let's finish up with a new, another new feature you'd like to introduce called the championship rounds. I'm going to just let you rip on this one, but I agree with you hundred <laughs> percent. So we, we want to sort of try to have a little bit more of a format to the show because we tend to get, as we did in the first half, kind of stuck on topics and, and rambling for a while. Um, so the championship rounds are just going to be our final sort of 10 minutes as the championship rounds are two, five minute rounds where we just kind of talk about, a major topic or, or something going on to something that piques our interest. And so for me, when, when we were putting this show together, I sent the email to Paul and said for championship rounds, I think, you know, we need, for me, I want to talk about how I'm feeling a little bit of overkill with all the Ronda Rousey um, appearances. Every single thing that she does is being announced as this monumental event. And that's not to take away from, some of the truly important and impactful things she is doing. I think it's great that she is going to be the first female athlete guest host of SportsCenter this evening in the United States on ESPN. I think that's cool. I think that's a cool little accomplishment. Um, but it's not this groundbreaking situation. They only started doing guest hosts, I believe, two years ago. And yes, that it took two years to get a female athlete is crazy. That Rhonda is the first female athlete is tremendous. It speaks to her level of popularity right now. But I also feel like we're getting a little disingenuous at times with things like Rhonda Rousey is the first woman ever to grace the cover of men's fitness. And then in small print underneath it, dot, 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 in Australia. Um, I think we're, we're going overboard and it feels that way with Rhonda. It feels that way with, with Conor McGregor. feels that way a little bit with Paige Van Zant, who again, was a guest fighter making an appearance in Houston last weekend when we just saw her a month before in her fight at UFC 191. And it feels like Sage Northcutt could very well get pushed down that road or travel that same road where you see GQ picking up the, the highlight of his fight. You see GQ posting about Ronda Rousey every day because she generates traffic. And as a guy that lives on the web and works on the web, I understand traffic as well as anybody and the need for it. Thank you, Province, for never bugging me about traffic numbers. I greatly appreciate it. <laughs> but there's got to be a limit. There's got to be a point where it's not just, you know, the, the Rousey Mayweather stuff was overkill. But now we're even getting into, hey, Ronda's going to be on Fallon. That becomes a story. Uh, Conor McGregor said this about random MMA event. I don't need to know Connor's opinion on absolutely any, everything. And I understand that that story is going to generate traffic because Connor is going to say something probably outlandish, probably like Connor taking shots at Luke Rockhold means absolutely nothing to me because Luke Rockhold, if they ever got in a cage would absolutely smash Connor McGregor. They are never going to fight. And so Connor calling Luke Rockhold a bum yeah, it's funny, but who gives a shit? Like, what does it... He calls a lot of people a lot of things. Do we need to write about it every single day? Especially when there are so many other cool stories in this sport. Cool stories coming out of UFC 192. I get that that's where the Sage Northcutt thing comes from. With him, I just feel a little, like, preemptively protective. Like, I don't want to see him suddenly everywhere because it feels like that's just setting a dude up to fail. I feel that way a little bit about Paige Van Zant, where it's just she's going to get rushed up the ladder. And that, I mean, the one for me, and, and I think I've said it a couple of times last week, was 
Rose Namajunas, who fought at UFC 192, looked very good getting her first official UFC win, was positioned as the next Ronda Rousey going into the Ultimate Fighter. But as soon as she lost, everybody just scattered and nobody talked about her. And so to be so focused, sure on the champions, on Ronda and Connor, I get that, they're major stars, but on these younger fighters that are working their way up to put all of this pressure and all of this focus on them at this point just feels a little bit worrisome to me because we saw how everybody just took off from Rose Namajunas as soon as she lost and that the ability to use that momentum and put Ronda Rousey's name in headlines alongside of her dissipated people were done with her and that feels sketchy to me it feels a little bit false to me and and I just hope that we continue to talk about all of the stories and not just these four fighters and John Jones and a couple other names because there is so much going on in this well story. the sad the sad part is and, and we've weaved through this a little bit today is it you as I said you had GSP Anderson Silva you know John Jones you had these guys who you know, for legitimate reasons, have been around for a long time, look like staples of the division, uh, and there were, all the talk was around super fights. Now, you're absolutely right. As great as Ronda Rousey is, when she's in between fights, we still get this garbage Floyd Mayweather not- narrative come up whenever she does a, a mainstream appearance. And yeah, she was on Fallon last night, and it makes, you know, so we get a, a whole other sort of rollout of the Ronda, Ronda Rousey show. And there's nothing wrong with that because she is a star. But I find that so much of it is at the expense of other people. As you said, it's just on a select few. Yes, Conor McGregor sells tickets. But that's why there's a ton of resentment in those UFC locker rooms about Conor McGregor because it's almost like he hogs the spotlight. And there is that that element of the WWE to it. But at the same time, for me, Spencer, I I agree with you 100% here. To me, it undermines the strategy of the fight nights where you're trying to give – spotlight and profile to some of your younger good fighters and now it's like okay yeah we've got a good young fighter but it's more about how they look than how they perform and we'll just take these same four personalities and just wedge them into absolutely every opportunity like i i anticipate sage northcutt and Paige van zandt being guest fighters making appearances at every ufc event going forward that they're not fighting on and while i understand that's great from a people want to see them people turn up to these events to see them it also, to me, potentially detracts from their careers because if you're on the road, so for Paige Van Zandt, coming off that fight in Las Vegas at the start of September, she has a fight booked for the second week of December, the first night of the three night of fights in a row in December, which is going to be crazy, against Joanne Calderwood, which is a tough step up in competition for her. Here we are at the start of October, and she's making guest appearances in in Houston, she's about eight weeks out from camp, from from her fight. It might be time to get in the gym and just continue, you know, building on the skills because she is still raw. And so, as you said, you, you look at these, there, there's absolutely the element of it that is promotion that you need. That, But then you see things. For me, it goes back to that Go Big press conference in Vegas last month where Connor, it just became the Connor show. And he was taking aim at everybody. And we had a few laughs about it this weekend where it's, you know, setting up fights for the future because Connor can Connor can move up to every weight class and fight every person. And that's almost what it feels like is that we just want to tie tether Connor to everything possible 
and it takes away from what is actually taking place and what is actually coming up. Well, and, and not- it's, as I say, it's run, it's it's contradiction a little bit of their strategy because Dana White wants to be taken seriously in in the realm of the big four sports, so to speak. But when you're seeing the yeah, but he sells tickets, yeah, but she sells tickets, um, it gives it more the carnival barker um, feel than it needs to, I think. The NFL needs to hype up every Thursday night game, every Monday night football game, every Sunday night football game. They can't just pick that one team. They can't just they can't just promote the Patriots every single week because there are so many other games, so many other teams, and you're not assured of the Patriots being in the Super Bowl. And so they cover everything. And I, I just hope that the UFC and we as media – continue to remember that when we're writing two and three and four stories about Connor and Rhonda and Paige and Sage every week going forward, that there's also a bunch of other really important, really interesting fights and interesting stories out there that we can, we can talk about as well that may not generate as much traffic, but two years ago, Connor McGregor wasn't generating the kind of traffic he is now. And I think that's, that's the underlying part of it for me is that all of these people came from somewhere and we had the opportunity to be in on them when they started. So why aren't we continuing to look at that for these younger fighters or these emerging fighters that aren't quite in the spotlight yet? Now's the time to get in on some of them rather than two years from now when they actually when they accomplish everything and then we get them rammed down our throat for day after day, month after month. Yeah, but who would win in the in the octagon, Spencer, Gronk or Ronda? right it's just i mean listen we we had danny and i were on the mma roadshow podcast with john morgan of mma junkie last week and we had a quick little pound for pound discussion about you know ronda being in the pound for pound rankings and and it's just if you don't think she could beat tj dillashaw which i don't think many people do then ronda against Ronda in the pound for pound discussion seems a little weird. Pound for pound discussion as a whole is just a weird thing, but it's true. These are the things we think about. We want to know could how long could Gronk last and would would Ronda beat Floyd? It's just we don't need to tie these people into every conversation always forever when there's so much else going on. Great stuff. Well, the good thing is <laughs> there's not much going on this weekend. You actually get some time off. Schedule get slows some, down a bit. Get some time off, get some family time. I've got family from Ontario out. My mother-in-law had surgery while I was away. So she is hanging out with us this week. It is a full house at the Kite Ranch. And uh, I'm sitting outside taping this podcast in the rain, which normally would be like... Well, oh, yeah, God, I was wondering raining. about the crows in the background. but you Yeah, know. I, see, it's a full house inside. So I didn't want, you know, little nephew Bean is down. So we didn't need baby soundtracks. It's also that I was in Houston for five days and good Lord, it's hot. So it's nice to be back in in the Pacific Northwest, Canadian Southwest, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the rain, in the drizzle out here in Abbotsford. Uh, doing this with you. It's nice to have you back as well. Great. Great stuff, Spencer. <laughs> uh, you can find Spencer on Twitter at Spencer Kite, K-Y-T-E, or uh, Keyboard Kimura at theprovince.com. Lots of stuff going from Spencer. So thanks for listening, everyone. We will talk to you next week. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboardkimura. Kimura.